0: Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernol Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association,
1: and I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Friday Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday.
0: Well, we are so grateful today to have Adrian Hall, the chair of our elections committee, joining us. Adrian, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, we know you are a super busy person, so we appreciate you carving out some time for us. Um, we have elections coming up. Yes. So can you tell us about uh candidate filing?
2: Um, um, the OEA elections, uh, those who wish to file starts on February 1st. Okay. And they extend through February 18th. Perfect.
0: Well, we, um, we've got board seats open, is that? Yes, Okay, so um about how many, like tell us about how long people serve, what seats okay. are open, that kind of thing.
2: Okay, so this uh, election cycle, we have six um, OEA board seats open, and then uh, we have one uh, seat open for a uh, administrator at large. That's okay. coming up for this cycle.
0: And those are three-year terms and-
1: Yes, ma'am
2: we administrator is a two-year term
1: oh okay yeah. and those they are said, oh, and the two years because it's filling in for one that oh gotcha okay. yeah so the rest not to get real done. technical on yeah thing, yeah but. But
0: so these so these are regional geographic areas yes. and they're voted on by members within that geo who are within that geographic area right exactly okay mm-hmm. so why you know Folks who might not be members might not realize that we're such a democratic organization. Why do you think it's important um, for for us to be structured this way?
2: Um, I think uh, when it comes to representation, you need people in that area who are familiar with the needs of each of those zones Mm -hmm. to be a part of that board, to let those small or large or rural or urban areas be uh, Mm -hmm. represented in a way that is effective. And so um, as we know in our state, sometimes there are people who are making decisions but they don't know about your special circumstances. And so it's important for um, members who are interested in these board seats, if they feel super passionate about things that are happening in their local area or in their zones, that they should run for these positions to let those needs be heard and Mm -hmm. and have representation in
1: that area. Uh, it's such a, I, our our process is so unique than mm-hmm. any other organization that it is members running elected by members to serve them to be their voice mm-hmm. on our on our board of directors for the seats that are open now. It's it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I know some organizations that like like an executive director appoints them or something like hey, that. Right? No, no, no way. <laughs> so, so
0: Catherine, let me ask you, because you've you've been a longtime board member and now you you chair the board as the president, yeah. why is that talk about the importance that Adrian just brought up such a good point about how there are different concerns and different issues. How important is that for you and other board members to hear from all these different backgrounds?
1: Right. And you know, that is that's the beauty of this. Just like Adrian was talking about, we have board members um, because how it's how we align this, it's proportionate to our membership. So each director represents a thousand members. And so in the metropolitan areas, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, they may only represent because the districts are so large, yeah, at and least they, a thousand at least yeah, thousand. We're down in southeast Oklahoma, we have board members that represent thirty locals, yeah, and yeah. it's huge geographic area. But when they come to a board meeting, they are bringing the perspective of where they live and what they experience mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. When we make decisions, then the board members have a fiduciary responsibility to be voting for the good of the whole. Yeah. When we listen, we process, and we say, what is for the good of the whole? And so they're that voice that yeah. that that brings the examples that we need to what's happening in those areas.
0: Adrian, you volunteer, I mean, The um, elections committee chair pays so well.
1: Yeah, Um, it's it's a high-paying job. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Um, but why? Why is it important to you? And you know, something for other people to think about. Why is it important to serve the association at a state level? Why? Why is that worth your time?
2: Um, I feel like um, that uh, I want to be in the know. I want to know what's happening, Mm -hmm. and I feel that. even on the election committee, there are different uh, viewpoints and there are oh. represent, representatives from each zone there because sometimes our issues are different. Yeah. Uh, but I think also is that um, when we think about things on the state level, if you want change to happen, you have to yeah, be in the fight. And so... Yeah. Um, Even for a person like me who who I don't see myself as very political, I do feel like it's important to have my voice, to hear other perspectives. And then when I'm making a decision about who I'm voting for or like bills that are coming out, that I have that other part that I might be missing uh, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't affect me personally or in my district. Mm -hmm. I need to know some of those things that help. Or that affect other parts of our state. So, uh, even in this small um, area with elections, I feel like it's important to kind of uh, know what's happening and to make sure that people have um, the opportunity to serve in a way that they feel like are in their um, wheelhouse.
1: <laughs> yes, and and Adrian is that the the. Prime example, Adrian's, you served on the elections committee for several mm-hmm. years yes, and, and, and it is the duty of the president at the beginning of their term to appoint committees of our members. And so when I reached out to Adrian and said, I need you to be the chair because our committees are geog- geographically diverse, ethnically diverse, the whole, we, we're we all about that. And uh, I said, hey, and she didn't blink an eye. She just said, sure, <laughs> absolutely. And so that's that's what it's about.
0: Well, so for folks who are interested, um, they have until the 18th, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, And go to okea.org slash OEA elections, and you can see all the zones that have elections coming up and all of the info about RA and uh, delegate assembly and all that good stuff. So that's just right around the corner. So hop to it. Get involved. Yes. Well, Thank you so much, Adrian, for your time today, but also thank you for your service to the association.
2: You're welcome, thank you.
0: We are joined this morning by the irreplaceable Ivy Riggs. Ivy, how are you? I'm good, thank you for having me. Yes, um, we wanted to visit with you about a member survey that we uh, put out to our folks asking uh, how people are doing and we, We did this after uh, the secretary of education made some comments about schools closing. um, And then the governor had a press conference about uh, letting state employees uh, take time to sub. And so we wanted to find out from members how they're doing and how the sub shortage is affecting them. And so can you give us a look at how overall, how are people feeling?
3: I mean, based on the survey, they are not feeling well. Yeah. They are. Um, they they feel uh, incredibly stressed. They feel uh, overworked. They uh, don't feel supported. <clears throat> They're tired, um, undervalued. You know, um, some of the some of the feedback after the governor's um, press conference was, um, "Oh my goodness, what a what a great partnership from outside of education." Uh-huh. this is a, this is a great, this is a great solution. And, you know, if it had come as one of many ideas, yeah. I think it would have been taken differently. Um, yeah. I yeah. think, I think I would have taken it differently personally as a former educator. I think our educators may have taken it personally, but, but for it to come as the solution and disregard everything our, our educators and our, and our school employees have been living over the last year and a half two years um and and saying based on this solution you must be in person you know it's just um it, it's 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 just one more thing to pile on top of a an already uh, very overwhelming time
1: yeah and just the just the disregard of public health that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and teachers and support professionals and administrators and students and families are still getting sick. And it has a direct impact on our workforce. Yes. Um, we asked, uh, we asked
0: members to rate their stress on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest 10 being the highest. Um, and the the score was pretty surprising. It came back as an eight out of 10, which is the highest we've seen. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's. It, I I think it's just telling. It just, um, you know, I don't I don't think educators are alone in this. I think we hear this from healthcare workers. I think we Absolutely. hear this from from a lot of our essential uh, workforce. But because I I truly think what's different is we are entrusted with with children. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not saying it's 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 more important than any other essential workforce. I just think it's different. It is. and 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 not only the responsibility of keeping our kids safe, but letting our families continue to to go to work and feel safe about dropping their children off every day, and you know, how is that being handled? Right. And so I, I I think I think because we're who we are, as educators, I think we sometimes put a little more stress on ourselves because we are entrusted with such a such a valuable commodity, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the safety of kids is always it has always been the utmost of importance to us, right? Yeah. But but now we're talking about like life and death safety. That's different. Right. And one of the questions that we asked was about if if
0: uh, survey respondents have had COVID and
3: about a half of them said yes. Right. Um, you know, if, if you've spent much time in a school, even when you're wearing masks, even when you're doing your very best to to keep your distance, uh, children are needy, mm-hmm. right? They've they met them. We've met yes, them. Yes, right. We've all we've all been touched and hugged and loved <laughs> by, by children. Them. And and when a when a kid needs a hug. You're gonna do your best, right? right? And 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 so we put our lives on the line as educators. We're we're putting our own health at, at risk, and that's stressful in itself. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a choice we make because we believe in what we do. But this is the cost, and and half of educators is a lot. Yeah.
0: It's a lot, yeah. and so no wonder there's a sub crisis, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right? Right. And it,
1: and for some reason, there's kind of this thought that uh, possibly people that are substituting aren't getting the virus, that right. it's not impacting them and or right. others that would, community members that would want to help. Um, right.
0: Catherine, you brought up an, a great point the other day about
1: a lot of our subs are retirees. Yeah, yeah. And they just and I've talked to a lot of them and they just don't feel safe. Sure. Um, Right. So it's
3: not that they're not getting it because they're immune. It's because Uh, they're not going to the school. Right. It's because they're not subbing because they're
1: scared. Yeah. And like, I mean, rightly so. Yeah. I I don't I don't blame them for that. And, And we love retirees that come back and sub love them because we know they can step right into that place and be able to, to know how the lesson plan is going to flow and be able to just pick up where um, the teacher is. And it is, uh, I have talked to numerous retirees and uh, my mother being one, she taught for 32 years and sub for multiple years afterwards Mm because she loved it. She loved being in the classroom, but no, it is just not, there, there's, our retirees are at a very high risk and we don't want to put them at risk.
0: Um, we, the survey showed us how uh, how critical the, the sub shortage is and sort of put numbers to what everybody's feeling. And um, about half of schools have had to close in-person learning because of a lack of subs and only 3% reported that they have enough subs, 3%, which is wild. Um, even though it was like 9% a few months ago, which is still terrible, but, um, we're really seeing an all hands on deck situation in our schools, uh, across the state. Um, how are people, how are
3: people coping with this? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think, uh, I think like we think we, we would, right. They're, uh, they're filling in on their plan time. They're, yeah covering extra classes, they're taking extra classes in with theirs, they're combining classes into, um, you know, larger areas. Um, administrators are filling in, uh, support staff is filling in, yeah. all, all the things that we would we would <laughs> expect to happen in a school that, that, that always has. I mean, yeah. a sub-shortage yeah. is not new in the pandemic. Right. We, we keep saying that. There right. has been a sub-shortage for a long time, but. It, nothing like this. Right. So, you know, I taught for 15 years. I covered on my plan. I'm going to say once every other week. Yeah. Yeah. But this is an everyday occurrence for people. So there's just no break, no breathing room and no time to, to actually do what a plan time is, is designed to do. And there's all the expectations are, are still there. You still have to plan. You still have to call parents. Right, right. You still have to put grades in. You still have to grade. You you still have to do all the things. You still have to prep. I right. taught science, and and I had a you know hands on lab a couple of days a week. So when does that happen? Right. It happens before school. It happens after school. It happens you know when you like to be with your family. Right, and right. and that all adds to the stress. Yeah. Um. So
0: Catherine. Yeah. Uh. What. What do folks say that they
1: need
2: right now? Oh, no three swearing. Seven. You can't swear. <laughs> in your answer.
1: Uh, commodity I mean, time is a commodity. Mm-hmm. It is a commodity and uh, there's just not enough of it right now. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that's not anything new, right? Um the resources they need, whether it's the help with the subs or um, even resources of um, community helping. But. Mm-hmm respect yeah respect to um we've lost sight of that good of the whole and it, they feel so torn whether it's bills being filed in the legislature um, we have some anti our our parents are our lifelines for yeah. our schools in our yeah. communities but unfortunately, we've had some anti-public education groups that have just, and it's not necessarily a lot, it's just the loudest. And, yeah. and, and because what you guys have been talking about, and it we are there for kids. And it it is like a stab in the heart um, on the respect side of it. And yeah. they don't, they they many times don't feel like anybody has their back.
0: and and especially two years into this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's been an issue always. But after you've been, I mean, good Lord, like they've been climbing mountains and like breaking through walls and doing all the things to keep school going and then to be disrespected. It just is it. It feels so insulting and feels so personal.
1: Yeah. And when you and when you we really look at this over the last decade, we have been in a severe teacher shortage. We have had not had the resources in our classrooms. We've had uh funding issues for yeah. our, our schools. And then to have the pandemic happen, it was we were we were ripe to be at a breaking point. Yeah.
0: Well, this is all depressing and terrible. So <laughs> our apologies. We'll try to lighten it up next week, probably. Good grief. It, it is legislative session. Well, so uh, You know what? We'll, we'll lighten it up in June. We'll, (laughs) it'll be great. But Um, but our educators are heroes. They are heroes. I just, I want people to know that you are not alone and that everybody's going through this together and, and we will come out the other side together. And I just want, don't want people to feel
3: like they're the only ones that are just at the end of their rope with all of this. You know what I mean? yeah, I think I think not just the disrespect, but just the acknowledgement of what they're doing every day. the fact right. that they just continue to show up, right? Knowing what the experience is going to be. knowing that you are not getting to do what you love to do. you're you're getting to do the worst of what you do <laughs> of, of what teaching is. you know, there's yeah. always the parts that of any job that are not awesome, but but they just keep showing up every day because of the kids. And so that acknowledgement and and the respect for what they do is, is uh, they deserve it.
1: Yeah. You know, you always look at ways to fill our buckets. You know, you have to have you have to as an educator, you have to be able to fill your bucket. And those aha moments that kids have when they're learning something new that just that filled your bucket. But their buckets are so empty yeah. that that's not even filling their bucket.
0: Well, we appreciate you, friends we do. We appreciate what you do. So thank you very much for your time, Ivy, as
3: always. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, let's just take some time to catch up with Catherine. Uh, We are wrapping up January and quickly moving into February. And February 1st uh, begins Black History Month. And uh, you are going to want to check out our website for resources to be utilizing in your classrooms, in your schools, um, to help celebrate Black History Month. Uh, you can go to okea.org Black History and find a wealth of information. Uh, Carrie, we've had that on our website for several years. And yeah, it's it got is great
0: stuff. A ton great, of stuff.
1: ton of stuff. You know, so much of it is is uh, created by educators uh, to help educators. So yep. uh, check yep. that out. And then also February first, I know you heard on the podcast uh, we had Adrian on and uh, she talked about OEA elections. Just a reminder, uh, those open up February first. And um, this is your opportunity to step up, step out, put your name on the line, and run for office. And be the voice of uh, your members in your area. Um, You can go to okea.org slash OEA elections and download the filing form. You can, we make it easy. You can email it back into us. You can fax it. If you you know there's a fax machine somewhere. Step one is find a fax machine. Yeah, that's it. Find a fax machine if you
0: still have it. Watch YouTube about how to use it. Yeah, but but
1: all the information is right there for you. Yep. And then uh, r- something really cool came out of the State Department this last week, and uh, they are using six million dollars of their federal relief funds yes. to provide uh, more monies and resources into our classrooms um, through donor choose. Yep. And I know so many of our our educators around the state uh, use donor choose. Uh, I I, donor. I get those a uh, donor donor. Donors choose. I get those uh, emails all the time because I love to go on there and um, help fund projects. But they'll donate at what is it, eight hundred dollars? Yes, up to. I mean, that's a great. That's a. You can get some stuff done. Yeah, and so check that out. Um, You can go to the OSDE website, and I know it's been in our Edge newsletter, and so uh, we can help with that information.
0: And they are funding that first come first serve yeah starting february 4th so get get your project up go get your money yeah
1: so if you already had a project going i assume carrie that you could just Mm -hmm. get it connected and we're going
0: to start doing that though um,
1: the fourth yeah we have we have been so grateful for all the federal relief funds that have been coming back into our state and and helping during this time so it's there use it
0: yes Yes, I agree wholeheartedly, and do it for something that you that you want. That's what I love about this is that you basically you get to pick it, yeah. you know. And I love browsing donors choose, and it makes me wish I was independently wealthy because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, like yeah. you know, alternative seating or books or like smartboard stuff or you know, I mean, just like all kinds of cool stuff you could do with that 800 bucks just for your room.
1: It is amazing to see the creativity. Yes. Of our educators in our state. Yes. I um, love it. And, and how how they are, our, our educators are constantly looking for ways to bring resources into their classroom. Yes. Um, it's amazing to watch. What a great way to do it. So get
0: on there, get your stuff all signed up so that you can get that money for your kiddos. Well, we want to say thank you so much to our legislative lead, Ivy Riggs. And to Adrian Hall, our OEA Elections Chair, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Compernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association.
1: And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at FriedOkraPodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.